Well, uh, Mike Sexton and I serve together. Let me tell you a little bit, bit about the ministry we serve together in. It's the Home Builders Ministry here at the church. And that's a Sunday school class that meets at 9.30 every Sunday. And uh, Mike and Meredith are leaders of that, uh, of that Sunday school class. And Katie and I try to help out as mentors to it. But we're blessed with a great leadership team and a great bunch of young families in that class. We take our name from uh, Psalms. Unless the Lord builds a house, the laborers labor in vain. So we're all about teaching um, home building. Uh, for these young families, and it's usually uh, uh, married couples in their 20s, 30s, sometimes even 40s that have kids from newborns through uh, elementary, some junior highs, and uh, senior high school kids as well. But we're really focused on parenting skills, really focusing on growing our relationships, our marriages in Christ, and just our lives around Christ. So about six months ago, we've been looking at a verse or uh, kind of a theme, but it's uh, John 15, 5, and uh, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So we've been looking at this word abide and what it means to abide in Christ and what that really looks like for, you know, these families that might have uh, the mom and the dad are both working two jobs to make ends meet. They're raising, and they might have four kids under the age of eight. They have a mortgage to pay, all these different kinds of things. What does abiding look like? How does it become real? And how does Jesus speak into those situations? Well, that, uh, you know, in this past six months, we've been looking at that, and actually it was preparing us, every one of us in that class, for different events in our lives. We all have struggles and this and that. But Mike, who's been teaching on this a lot, was faced with some news that wasn't the greatest news. I'll let him share that with you. But his story about this abiding concept and also about surrender is just touching our hearts in that class. So I hope you'll uh, give Mike a big round of applause, but he's going to touch your hearts today. Let's bring up Mike Sexton. Good morning, West Bowls. And happy, happy Super Bowl Sunday. This is a big day for Denver. So um, if anybody's out there who just, uh, it's a little bright up here, wow. Um, who, uh, who just needs to get a little excitement out of your system for a few seconds just to be able to sit through this message, knock yourself out. Let's just, let's hear it now. <laughs> that was good. Well done. Well done. Um, so it's good to be here this morning, and I, and I, I feel privileged just to be able to come up and just share my story. Um, and so to start off this morning, I want to I give us something that um, will just allow us all to feel uplifted, to feel confident and reassured that you're in good hands here this morning. Um, and that is that I have zero qualifications to be up here speaking with you this morning. Um, the last time that I actually did anything like this was probably about 20 years ago. It was in my, my church where I grew up in, in New York. And my youth pastor asked me just at last minute to go up and give an overview of just an update on where the youth group was and what we were doing. And I got up there, and it was probably a cloud, maybe a little bit smaller than this, and got up there and just looked around and was like, uh, uh we play basketball? Uh, so I can't guarantee that that will not happen again this morning. Um, and uh, if I do freeze up, um, my plan is just to yell, go Broncos, or... Um, <laughs> 
somebody can feel free to throw a shoe at me and I will not be offended. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a real estate guy with a management consulting background. I work for a large bank. Um, my only, probably the closest thing that I have in terms of qualifications to be up here is one year at a Christian college back in the mid-90s. Um, but my saving grace is that I do have a smoking hot wife. And I have two beautiful little girls who are ages six and four who are my, my heart and they're my joy. Um, so that could, that could prompt a little sympathy from you guys. But, uh, but ladies and gentlemen, it's... Uh, this is where we are, and times are tough here at West Bowles, and this morning we've hit the bottom of the barrel. So um, if you have any complaints or concerns with my message here this morning, the email address is asktheelders at westbowles.com, and you can address it to Bob Fugler. Personally, I'm not even sure Fugler's an elder, but uh, you can knock yourself out and send it to him, and it'll get to him. So, but now that I've laid that fantastic groundwork, um, I, uh, what I do have for you this morning is just, it's a story. And it's my story. And it's something that God has been working me through. As, as Brad talked to, we've been talking about this um, at least the last six months within West Bowles. And it's something he's been working me through for the last couple of years. Um, and my belief this morning is that within my story, that it's part of all of our stories. And so it's my privilege just to be able to share that with you this morning. And, and you know, I, I recognize and I'm cognizant that right now we've got a lot of excitement in the air around the Super Bowl. But at the same time, this may hit us in certain spots where we're not as excited, right? Where we're going through loss, we're going through struggle, we're going through hardship. And my prayer this morning is that even in the midst of that, especially in the midst of that, that this message is something that we can all pull something big from. So um, I'm hoping that we leave here with a deeper confidence and a deeper, a deeper depth uh, with Jesus this morning. So with that, let's pray real quick. Jesus, this morning we just come to you and we just, uh, we just thank you for one, for bringing us here, and two, just God, for, um, I thank you, Lord, for the abundance that you have poured into my life. Um, I thank you, Lord, for just your graciousness and your willingness just to step through all these journeys with us, but, but Lord, just to, to guide us and lead us and to speak life into the midst of trial, into the midst of joy, into the midst of uh, wherever it is that we are. And so, Lord, we just call on you this morning to, to walk with us, to open up a depth in our heart, Lord, that's, that's open to you and to the things that you want to say and the things that you want to do. And so we just give you this time and take what little I've got, Lord, and just use it in your name. Amen. So um, the story that, and, the, and what I want to share this morning is kind of bits and pieces of things that we've been talking about within the Home Builders group, but things that have definitely been driven home with greater depth and with greater truth for me over the course of the last three months. And so in a nutshell, here's my story. I'm 37 years old. Um, for the most of my life, with the exception of a few extra pounds that I've carried on for the last 10 years or so, I've been in pretty good health. And my time with doctors has been fairly minimal. Um, but recently that all changed. And on a fairly nondescript Thursday in Littleton Hospital, I was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer that originated in my small intestine. And the reality of it um, is pretty massive. One, just in terms of what it is. And two, the fact that it has spread to some nearby lymph nodes, a couple spots in my liver, a couple smaller spots in my lung, right below my neck, um, some fluid that had built up in my chest wall that had cancerous activity in it. And, uh, you know, when I rattle off that list, I realized, man, my body's pretty jacked up. Um, so this has definitely established a new reality in my life. And it's a reality where I can wake up each day and I can see the availability of fear all around me. And that's a big reality. But the truth of the story is, that's not the story. To be honest, it's not even close 
to what the story is. And I'm not sure about you guys, but I know for my life, I've not always been cognizant of the big events for my life. I've not always been able just to stand up, take a step back, and just seek God for what his perspective is and what it is that he wants to say about those moments. And so, but in this moment, we did. And Meredith and I, after, after we got the diagnosis from the, from the doctor, um, we just took a step back and we just, we just prayed and just said, God, this is just way too big for us. We can't, we can't carry this. We can't hold it. We can't do it anyway. We're completely out of control. What do you want us to do with it? And what he spoke in those moments was just something that I've, I've fallen back on so many times over the course of this last three months. And that was basically, this is the adventure that I have for you to live right now. Your job, my job, is to wake up each day and just say yes to it. And some days that yes is loud, and some days it's resounding, and some days it's a whimper. But each day, he's given me more than what I need to be able to do that. And I'm just grateful for that compassion, that kindness that he showed me for that. Um, so this story this morning, it's the, the real story behind it. It's, it's a story of supernatural peace in the midst of trial, sickness, and brokenness. It's a story of the way that Jesus has shown up and the way that he's spoken with such intensity and such frequency around our circumstance and our situation. It's a story of the way that my faith and my belief has just grown into where he's worked me to those points where I have to go to him and say, I believe, help me with my unbelief. It's a story of how I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm really learning how to live in the midst of something where I could logically and acceptably be more concerned with dying. And so he's paved a path for peace for us, for, for peace for us. And we're in spite of the fact that we have this availability of fear all around us, we can live without that fear. We can live in freedom from it. And honestly, I mean, to, to give you some good news by the kindness and graciousness of God, um, I'm seeing his healing show up in unbelievable ways. I had my first scan, uh, a CT scan, excuse me for one sec, that was done two days after Christmas. It was after my third round of treatment, and I'm on a 12-round intensive chemo cycle. And after the third round of treatment, the first scan which shows up is massive reductions where it's spread. It's presumably the origination site may be gone. And so I see that kindness and that compassion that he has for me. And it's just given us something that we've just been able to celebrate. I mean, weeping, just celebrate that. And, and I've hit a big milestone, their monument this last week, just in terms of, of that 12-round cycle, I'm halfway through. And let me tell you, that feels pretty good to know that you're kind of on the down, downhill cycle. Although, you know, there's a lot, a lot ahead in store. But, um, but, but the real story here, and the, while those things are, I mean, I've just been able to celebrate those things immensely. Um, the real story here is that he's breathed life into my circumstance. Because this is just who Jesus is. This is what he does. In the midst, of, in the midst of, of trial, in the midst of wherever it is we find ourselves, when we seek him out, when we're ready for his voice, when we're waiting on his voice, he speaks life. And the real story is that his life and his purpose on earth and what he completed in death, it means something abundant for all of us. And so I look at my story and I say, it's my story, right? I'm dealing with this thing. But, but really, it's all of our stories. We're all dealing with something. We've all got something we hang on to. And in the midst of that, Jesus speaks life. What he came to do while he was on the earth and what he did in death, it means something. And it means something big. So this morning, I just, I want to dive into Jesus. And to do that, I want to go back a few hundred years and we're going to go back to the story of a man named Gideon, and we're going to start in Judges 6 and 7. Um, 
So to kind of give you a quick overview of this, of this situation, um, the Israelites are in a situation where they've forgotten their Lord, their God again. And they're literally basically trapped and hiding in the mountains. And they're oppressed and they're basically dominated by the Midianites and by the peoples of the east. And the Bible says that what, basically whatever the Israelites sowed, the Midianites plundered. They were just completely dominated by this. And the people of, God, or people of Israel are crying out to God, and God in their distress, he hears them. So we'll pick it up in Judges 6, 11 through 16, and we'll hit on just a couple of these verses. Um, I'll start in verse 12. And it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, to him, to Gideon, and he said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Down to 14, it says, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Verse 15, it says, So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So if we go, if we keep going, um, to, to understand a little bit more of the context, it's the, size of the, the size of the people of the Midianites, it's vast. It says in, verse, in chapter 6, verse 5, that um, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, but they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So it's a huge number of people. And if we look at just the size of the army, if you go forward to, to chapter 8, it basically says that it was about 130,000 people plus, just in the army. So if you take the other people who are on top of that, we've got a huge number of people for this point in history. So, God's telling Gideon, I'm going to deliver these people to you, and I'm going to use you in this process. So Gideon just basically is like, all right, is this really happening to me? Is God really speaking? And so he, uh, he tests the angel of the Lord, and he asks for just the favor of just being able to say, to, to know that it's really him. So if you pick it back up in verse 22 and 23, it says, Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And God says this to him in verse 23. He says, Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So at this point, God asked Gideon to go out and destroy the altars of Baal that the Israelites have been, have been worshiping. And Gideon does it, and he obeys. And he asks for continued signs, and it leads us up to the story of the fleece, which, you know, those of us who maybe grew up in the church were kind of familiar with this story from our childhood. Um, Gideon just says, Hey, God, if this is what you're really doing, well, let's, let's then do this for me. I'm going to put a fleece down. When I wake up, make the ground dry and the fleece wet. And so God does it. But Gideon, at that point, probably just takes a step back and his logical mind says, well, that was probably the wrong request, right? The fleece is an absorbent material. It's going to hold on to water longer than the land does. So God, let's reverse that. Let's make the ground wet and the fleece dry. And, and God does it again. And so at this point, Gideon's firmed up by the voice and the signs of God and he forms his army. And so next we'll go into Judges 7, verses 1 through 7. And we'll hit on a couple of verses here. In verse 2, it says, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, to t lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. In verse 7, if we could sit down at the bottom, it says, Then the Lord said to Gideon, By 300 men who I left, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So what happens here, and we've kind of skipped over some of the verses in the interest of time, but what happens here is that Gideon starts with an army of 32,000 people. And God says, it's too big. So he shaves off 22,000. So he gets down to 10,000 people. God still says, it's too big. So he gets down to 300 people versus 130,000 people plus. And God says, that's it. That's what we're going to work with here. So um, if we keep reading, let's go to, uh, we'll go to, to 
Judges 7, 20 through 22. And this is where we see just the amazing work of God and what he does and how he just basically wins this. Um, so 300 versus 130,000 people plus. And it says, And the three companies blew the trumpets and blo- broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army ran and cried, and f- cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to a bunch of places I'm not even trying to pronounce. <laughs> so, Again, Gideon's at 300 people versus 100,000 people, and he surrounds the camp. They blow trumpets. They break jars that are hover, covering up light. They reveal light. They pronounce the sword of the Lord. And then all of the swords of the people there are turned against him, and all Gideon has to do is just give chase. Just, just give chase. God's just won this for him. And so let's, let's break this down. Again, we look at it. It's, it's 32,000 that Gideon starts out with against 130,000 plus. These odds stink, right? They're no good. And then God says, it's too big, Gideon. It's too big. So the number goes down to 10,000. The odds get even worse. And it goes down to 300,000. And it verses 130,000. 300 people, so about the size of this room maybe, against 130,000 plus. And why does God do this? Because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, God wants to show that he won this. That there was nothing about the force and the size of the Israelites that could be equated in this story to say that the Israelites did it themselves. He wants no possible alternate version of the story aside from the fact that I did this. I took what seemed impossible and I made it great. So when you look at this, when you look at this adventure that Gideon's on, it's funny where he starts, right? Because when Gideon starts out, he says, he says, how am I going to do this, God? I am the least member of the weakest clan. And I wonder how many of us can really kind of can relate to that feeling of insufficiency and that feeling of inadequacy. Because we're faced with it sometimes, right? And we're faced with it when, when we just, we, we come up against insurmountable odds or what seem like that. But we can't miss the significance of what God does in this process because he starts it very early in the process with Gideon. He starts it by breathing life into him by saying, you mighty man of valor. He continues it when Gideon tests the reality of the the angel. And God says, yep, it's me. This is what I want to do. And he goes on with the fleece, right? He says, all right, I I get it. I I know what you're asking. I'm still going to show you this. I'm going to give you this. And if we keep reading, we see other instances where God just basically affirms that he is doing exactly what it is that Gideon thinks he's doing. He's saying the things that Gideon thinks he's saying. So, as I've looked at this passage, I've got, to, I've got to imagine that this process for Gideon went something like this. Like, wow, 100, 130,000 people. One, two, I got, I got 32,000. Deep, deep breath, Gideon. Just remember, God called you a mighty man of valor. Wow, now, now we're down to 20,000 people. Deep breath, Gideon. Just remember, God said you won't die. God called you a mighty man of valor. Remember the fleece, Gideon. 300 versus 130,000 plus. Deeper breath, Gideon. Deeper breath. Remember what God said to you. Remember he said you will not die. Remember the fleece. Remember the things that he gave to you. This is real. I'm doing this, Gideon. Just hang on. Just keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on God. Don't deviate from that. Just keep your eyes on God. And so each time 
that army decreased in size, it had to be an act of surrender. It had to be an act where Gideon just said, I, I have to trust God. I got to know that he's doing this. The odds are against me. I'm, I'm up against sure death without him. I have to just trust God. I got to step forward in this belief. And the reality of fear for Gideon too was just all around him. The ability to be completely wrapped in it was so close. But remember the fleece, Gideon. Deep breath. Remember that God said you won't die. So to be fully transparent, I am at a rubber hits the road moment for this in my life. And part of my prayer, along with healing, is that God is compassionate and merciful with me and that I've reached my 300 versus 130,000 plus. And I'm praying for that kindness and that gentleness of God to be extended to me. And so far, he's been more than kind and more than gracious. And I'm in a place where I can wake up, and as I said before, I can wake up and I see the availability of fear all around me. And I'm a management consultant by trade. So my thinking is prone to think five or ten steps ahead and to think, well, if this happens, I need to do this, and if this happens, I need to do this. And God in his kindness has just prevented me from being able to go there. But there are, to be completely honest, there are times where I wake up and I, I have those moments where the surface level fears are just enough to bring me to my knees. And there was a time just um, right before Christmas where, you know, I, I woke up thinking about a split-second look that somebody gave to me, and it literally made me physically sick. Just as it was, a, it was a, a, a look in response to a conversation around, I believe that this is that I need to step forward in faith and just trust God in this, and, and the things around what that looks like. And it was just a split-second look, and I woke up thinking about that, and it just wrecks me. And I see that. I see that in my humility. There are times where I've, I've taken my eyes off Jesus and stepped away from his kingdom. And, he's, and I've been gripped by the forces that are at play in this world. And I've been gripped by the fear that surrounds me in some of those things. But in those times, he uses them to teach me. He uses them to pull me back in and to say, that's what they think. That's not where you and I are. And I got to hold on to that. And in his graciousness and his kindness to me, those have been moments. They've not been days. They've not been weeks. They've been moments. And the times where I step away and I unplug from Jesus in those times, I see the necessity of being plugged right back in. Um, because when I'm plugged into Jesus, it's when he, he affirms life. He speaks life in the midst of our trial. And why? It's just, that's just because who he is. That's because of what he does. That's because of what he offers to all of us. So for my story... I've had to have those moments like Gideon, like I imagine that Gideon has. And I, and I have to go back and I say, okay, deep breath. Remember that he told you that although you're in a desert, I will not let you go thirsty. I'll bring a river if I need to. Deep breath, Mike. Just keep your eyes on me. Deep breath. Remember the peace of the hospital room when the doctor told you you had cancer. That peace was real. Deep breath. Keep your eyes on me, Mike. Keep your eyes on me. Remember how I gave you your oncologist. I'm working here. I want to win this. Just let me do it. Let me do it. Remember how on Thanksgiving morning, on just feeling broken and riding back from, from Whole Foods and, and listening to, to the radio station, remember how I told you just to keep listening to the song. Those words, they're my words for you. Deep breath. Just keep your eyes on me, Mike. Just abide in me. Just hang on. And it's in those, those moments where I see the truth that Jesus is living water. And in those moments, I won't go thirsty because he keeps speaking life. 
He keeps, he keeps bringing me back to where it is that I need to be. And at the core of where I am is, that, is a growing belief that Jesus is faithful, that he's trustworthy, that he's kind and he's compassionate. And amidst the trial, he's speaking life into it. And then in my situation, like Gideon's, in my situation, I'm just along for the ride. And whatever he wants to do, I'm just along for the ride in it. And so consequently, it's, just, it's, it's been that path of not being able to, to live in fear, of just being able to be free from it, have the moments, but he pulls me back out. And off after those moments, I'm strengthened and can move forward after it. And I know through some significant things over the course of the last couple of years of my life, I've experienced what it is to have to be in that place of surrender. And I know in this moment that I was prepared for this because of some of those moments in the past. And I know that that place of surrender, that place of being in completely in over my skis, completely just having these things that's just hugely out of my control, hugely to where I can't, I can't get my arms around, I can't grasp it, I can't understand it. All I need to do is just be in that place of surrender. And it's absolutely a journey of faith and belief. And But my thought is that while my circumstance is cancer and sickness, my story is kind of part of all of our stories because we all have things where just we were never intended to live with these things. We were never intended to have this level of, of, of hurt and pain that, you know, that we walk around with. We were never to hold, intended to hold on to some of the things that Jesus just didn't intend for us to live with. And so I believe that he's trustworthy. And I believe for all of us, I believe he'll speak life in those circumstances. So I want to talk about this a little bit because recently within our home builders class, we were talking about some of these topics, and, um, and I asked for just for some honesty and vulnerability from the class. And just to say, okay, what's, what is it that we walk around with? What are the things that we toil with and we wrestle with on a, on a day-to-day basis? And just let's be honest about those things. Let's, let's, let's be vulnerable about them. And so on the slide that will come up here in a second, you'll see part of that list. And so let's look at these things. Discontent and restlessness. Plagued with guilt. Wounded and hurt wrapped in fear, anxious and stressed, feeling judged and condemned, self-condemning, fearful of lack of provision, angry, lack of forgiveness or feeling that we are unforgivable, feeling that we will never be enough, feeling unacceptable or unaccepted. The reality about this list is that it's a hard, sad list. These are things, they don't look like life. But I bet if we were all honest this morning, we could probably look at one of those things or something like it that maybe it's not on the list, and we could say, yeah, I, I, I get that one. I walk around with that. I struggle with that. And it's, it's these things, they're a result of the world that we live in, right? And there's something that's in play within the world called entropy. And basically it's defined as, as the inevitable and steady deterioration of a system or society. It basically means that within this world, everything in its natural state is kind of moving towards deterioration. So think about this, just to get our arms around it. You build a brand new house, and you let that house just sit unmaintained and abandoned for a year, for two years. You go back to it, does it look the same way? Does it still look new? Does it look better than when you left it? No, it looks worse. Weathering started to happen. Things that are just, you know, the, the deterioration of that house starts to happen. And if we look at the truth of our lives, if we look at our relationships, if we look at our health, it's the same type of thing. Right? If we let those things left, if, if, if we leave those things to where nothing is acting on their behalf, they start to deteriorate. And that's a condition in the world. But the awesome news is that Jesus came to do something different. He came to, to stop that. And I go back a lot to what he says in Luke 4, where he's quoting Isaiah, Isaiah 61. 
And he says, as he's teaching the tabernacle, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to preach to the gospel, to preach the gospel to the poor, essentially to give hope to the poor. He says, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to give freedom to those who don't have it. These are the things that he came to do. And if we look at this life, it looks more, if we look at this list, it looks more like life than it does look like death. But we walk around with these things that he never intended us for to walk around with. We live with these things and we toil with these things and we're just, we're just oppressed by these things that he never intended for us to live with. He came to do something different. And all he's saying in those moments is, he's just saying, I, I want to take it from you. I want to fix it. All you've got to do is just come to me. All you've got to do is just keep your eyes on me. I want to fix these things. And we hold on to them because sometimes some of these things are just part of the list of the things that we just can't negotiate with God, right? We just can't hang out. We just can't let go of them because they're too big. There's too much fear around them. There's too much stress around it. We can't let go. And all the while he's saying, I am trustworthy. I can take these things. Let me win this for you. And we tend to think the journey of surrender, the journey of faith, the journey to get to a point with Jesus where we can hear and be led by him is an uphill climb and one which we'll always be behind. Can anybody relate to that? Can you feel like in your relationship with God that it just, it feels like, man, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be holy enough. I'm never going to be like this guy over here. I'm never going to be like her. Can you guys relate to that? And what I want to say this morning and to make this point very clear is that our walk and our life with Christ, it's not like that. We can let go of that. It is not like that at all. And so that, for me, leads to kind of the beauty of abiding. And abiding, is a, it's, a, it's a big word. It's a really powerful world, word. And it essentially means to continue to be present, to remain connected. And what it means for us in terms of relationship with Jesus is it implies that, that every breath, every need, every piece of us is connected to Jesus because he gives us life. And apart from that life that he gives, there's no abundance. There's no real fruit. And I think if we look at our lives and we think about the things where, where it was where we were walking with Jesus, we see that abundance. We see that fruit. And those parts where we've, we've stepped away, we see where it just, there's no real life in it, right? It's struggle. It's toil. And abiding for some might be a bit of a, of a, new, of a new word, right? It might be, um, it might be a new term. And, and if you, growing up in the NIV, this was the case for me, right? And NIV uses the word remain within these passages where it talks about abiding. But in, in the thought-for-thought translation of the NIV, it's remain. And in the word-for-word translation, it's abide. And abide is a big, big word. And so we have to look at like, the significance of it in terms of why it's important to us. And so when Jesus was, when he first was calling his disciples, and he would call them literally out of the boat, what was his message to them? It was follow me, right? And for those disciples, as Ryan talked about a few weeks ago, there was a very physical aspect to that message because they literally would follow Jesus throughout wherever it was that he was traveling. And on that journey, they would talk and they would interact with Jesus and they would learn, they would ask questions. But Jesus, when he's walking towards and he's getting close to Gethsemane and getting close to his death, his message shifts a little bit. And we see this within John 12 through like John about 15, 16. It shifts to abide in me because he knows that his physical presence with the disciples is not gonna be there for much longer. But the, but the message of abide, it was the message for the disciples, but it's our message as well. It's, it's that message to, if we, just to, to dive into Jesus and to know that, that all of our life, it comes from him. Everything we can get from Jesus. And so 
we see the beauty of this, of, of what he's talking about in the analogy of the verses that, that Brad talked about, where, he, where Jesus talks about the analogy of, or the illustration of, of a vineyard, and where he is, he's literally saying, you know, God is the vine dresser, I am the vine, you are the branch. And the verses in John 15, 4 through 5, they sum it up really well. It says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And there are two things I want to point out here. One, our job is just to be a branch. And for some of us, we think we have to do so much more, right? We think we've got to just, we've got to be constantly moving and, and doing, all we have to do is rest within Jesus. And to know that all the, the, sponsor, the responsibility for giving life, that's Jesus' responsibility. Our job is just to plug into him. And what he's saying is just bring every piece of you, every hurt, every joy, every ounce of what you've got. Don't keep it trapped in your head. Don't wrestle with it in your own life. Let me have it, and I promise you life. I promise you fruit. And this is completely consistent with his promises if we look at other parts of the, other parts of the Gospels. We can go back and we can look at Matthew 11, in verse 28 through 30. And it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And just in this one verse, how many of us are unrested? How many of us toil through life where we don't have that sense of rest that Jesus is promising here? How many of us have struggled with the fact that sometimes Jesus doesn't feel light and he doesn't feel easy? But that's not Jesus. Jesus is light and he's easy. The things he speaks into us, they will always be that. And so we go to John 10, where Jesus talks about the promise of abundance. It says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. How many of us struggle with where our life just doesn't feel that abundant? We all go through this, right? In John 14, we see the promise of peace and the ability to not be fearful. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And in Maya talked about a few weeks ago in Matthew 4, where Jesus is re- referring back to Deuteronomy 8. And he says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus promised to speak. He promises to give life. And life in this definition here, in terms of how the, the word is used, it means endless in the kingdom. It means far beyond just living and breathing. It means something of abundance. And this is Jesus' promise. This is who he is. This is what he offers us. And all he says is, come, abide with me, get to know me, and know that I'm trustworthy. Know that I am faithful. Know that I'm compassionate. Know that I love you, and I want, it to be, I want you to be who it is you were created to be. I don't want you to be walking around with the things that were on that list that look more like death than they do life. I want to give you life. And abiding is, as, as we look at it, and as we experience it more, is more of this life where we're bringing all those things where we're thirsty. And Jesus says, I am living water. Abiding is more of that life where we bring those things and we say, Jesus, they're too big for me. I can't do it. I'm tired. I don't want to do it on my own anymore. I don't have the energy, the ability to do it. I need you to take it. I need you to breathe life into me and give whatever it is I need on a daily basis. I just don't want to keep doing it on my own. It's that life of abiding that just draws us deeper and deeper into Jesus. And we see the truth and the promise of Jesus being just, just poured out in our lives on a more consistent basis.
And through that, we get the affirmation that God will not leave us. And we get the tools that we need to combat fear when we're in those circumstances where fear is just all around us. So, to wrap up this morning, West Bowles, what I, what I want to know and what I want to leave us with is, is just a challenge. If we think about that list, if we think about those things that are on it that we all just struggle with, some piece of it, right? What I'm wondering is, is it time? Is it time to let those things go? Is it time to experience a greater depth and a greater truth with Jesus by walking forward with the belief and the faith that he's good, that he is compassionate, that he is kind, that he loves us, that he wants us to be who it is that he and his father created us to be. Is it time? And I think about, as I've explored Jesus more as my healer, I think about just two stories that come to mind. And, and you know, we know this, the story of, or many of us may know the story of, of the woman who was, who was plagued with bleeding. And she'd spent all she had for 12 years to be able to find healing, and nothing was making her better. So she's ceremonially, ceremonially, can I say that? Ceremonially unclean. And she fights to get to Jesus. And she fights through a massive crowd because she has the faith that tells her, all I need to do is reach out and touch his cloak, and I will be made well. And what strikes me about this story, aside from just the faith that she has, is that Jesus stops He's got this throng of people all around him. People who are just pushing at him forever because all all, everyone in the village where he is, they're bringing all the sick to him and they all just want to be able to see Jesus. And Jesus stops at that one instant. And he turns around and he looks for who it is that just, just, just has touched his cloak because he knows something has gone out from him. And what I imagine at that time is the compassion that Jesus has in his eyes. What I imagine there is just, is that love and that grace and the sadness that he had for her and the compassion that he extended to her. And that's what's available for us. We hold on to these things and sometimes we don't fight to get to Jesus because we think we have to hold on to it. We gotta make ourselves clean before we can approach him. And that's not the case. She had no right to be there. And she fought to get to him. And the other thing that strikes me is if you go back into the Gospels and you look at the story around the father who brings his son to, to Jesus for healing of the evil spirit and the disciples can't do it. And Jesus just sits there with this man and he says, if you believe, all things are possible. And the man just looks at him and says, I believe, Jesus, help my unbelief. And I can relate to that because there's those times where there's just unbelief. But I want to give us some relief this morning to say, it's not our job to muster up the faith, to build the faith, and to build the belief. It's Jesus' job to build it within us. And he uses the analogy of the mustard seed where it starts out so small, but it's a seed and it grows. All we have to do is come to him and say, I believe, help my unbelief. And what I'm wondering is, is it time? Is it time to let go of some of those things? Is it time to step forward in that faith with whatever it is that we've got and just to give it and bring it to Jesus? The beauty of this is, 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 this is just who he is. This is what he wants to do. Is it time? And the beauty about Jesus is that he stands there for us and he says, you know what? You and I, we may not have been there 30 seconds ago, but what about now? What about right now? We may not have been there yesterday morning, but what about now? 
We may not have been there two years ago. We may not have been there for your entire lifetime. But what about now? I'm here and I'm ready. I want to do these things for you. I want to breathe life into you. Is it time? Matthew says, or Jesus says within Matthew, that, that narrow is the gate and few are those who, who enter it to find life. And my heart, what I want and what I'm hoping for is that all of us, we're a part of the few. That we find it. Because this life of abiding, this life of surrender, it matters. It means something. And what Jesus came to do, it's done. He's done it. It's abundant and it's available for all of us. And so what I want to know is just, is it time? And so if there's anything that, you know, for, for you, if this has stirred anything for you, don't let it sit. Talk to somebody about it. I'll put my, my phone number and email address up there. If you want to come, if you want to talk to somebody in the church, we'll find somebody for you to talk to. It's, it can be time. It can be time to let go of some of these things. Don't just let it sit. Jesus has got big plans for you. So with that, let's wrap it up. Let's pray. Jesus, you are, I am, and there's so much that's just captured in that. There's so much that is just wrapped up in, in what that means for each of our lives individually. And Lord, I just pray, God, that we would just encounter you with a, with a depth, with an understanding, Lord, that just brings us to a new place in our lives. It brings us to a new place with you. I pray, God, that when, when we look at you, we see the compassion that's in your eyes for us. We see, Lord, that there's no condemnation. Lord, that you, are, that you are here to bless us, that you're here to love us. And I pray, God, that we would just reach out and that we would just grab hold of that today. And so, God, take what little we've got and just do the great things, Lord, that you want to do, that you want to win. In your name, amen.